0: All right then, before we begin, let us all remind ourselves how incredibly grateful we should be to have the Dhamma, to be in the presence of the Noble Ones, to be in the presence of the Mahasanga, to have the refuge of the noble triple gem. This is all because of one man's commitment, his dedication. Infinite benevolence, compassion towards all sentient beings. Before we begin, let us take a moment to pay homage to He who is magnificent, to He who is unparalleled, unequaled, infinitely merciful, boundlessly compassionate, kind, He who delivered us the path to our own salvation and our deliverance. This is the Supreme Buddha that we pay homage to.
1: (coughs) Namo (coughs) tasa bhagavato arhato Sama sambuddhassa Namo tasa bhagavato arhato Sama Sambudhasa Namo tasa Bhagavat Arahato Sama Sambudhasa.
0: <coughs> this is the time. for your merits to come and play its part. There's really nothing for you or I to do here. We feel that we have a role to play but that's just a story that we've all told ourselves because it makes living convenient So we can make sense of what's going on around us But the truth is This is when what you've given Is to be gotten So your merits will be your savior from this point forward All I'm here to do is to help you draw them attract them towards your I don't do anything else. So whatever you hear from this point forward, whatever you learn, whatever you understand, and whatever you realize, however much you feel relieved, free, exalted, whatever you feel like you have achieved, it is not my doing. This is all your merits. Therefore, have faith in your merits. Remind yourselves of the meritorious deeds that you would have done. Rejoice in them again and again and again. And those merits will save you from here on until the end. I often ask myself, what did I actually hope to achieve by becoming a monastic. Because, especially when I have the opportunity to talk to you, like I do, I can't help but ponder this question about how does one get closer to achieving their salvation, to achieving their Nibbāna. Because, after all, that is what you're here for. You've come here and you've said you want to attain Nibbāna. But, from the outset, it seems like there are very visible and blatantly obvious differences between you and I. For starters, you tell me that Swami Nansen, you are a monk, and we are lay people. Clearly the Buddha established the Sangha community, the monastic community, because there must be a necessity, a need. To achieving the salvation, there must be a path that one must follow. And isn't that what the Buddha established this community of the Sangha for? So how, as lay people, are we supposed to be doing this? And then at the same time, whilst you're contemplating this on the one half of your brain, on the other side, you'll be confused, perhaps, or maybe on the horns of a dilemma, because your commitments, your obligations, your duties, They'll come to the forefront and then they'll keep asking you, well, if you leave everything behind and go forth, then what about all the people you have to look after? What about all the people who rely and depend on you? What do you do then? You talk about compassion. You talk about kindness and gentleness and loving kindness to all. But then what about the people you're going to leave behind? What about compassion for them and loving-kindness for them? Is this loving-kindness for everyone else, just not for people you live with at home? These are some of the questions that you might find yourself trying to find answers to. So, this morning as I was preparing to come to talk to you, as I was going through my speech, (laughs) if only that was possible, I began to wonder what is it about layness that is an obstacle to your achieving of Nibbana. Because I can talk to you till the cows come home, until monk life, monastic life, and how wonderful and amazing it is. But I know that there will be some among you who will perhaps have, maybe, if you'll pardon me saying this. Missed the boat on this occasion. There might be among you some who want to do it, but can't do it. It could be for health reasons. It could be because of your commitments, and so on. Like I mentioned earlier. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, it is not really layness. That is the distance between you and Nibbana. That is not the distance that you have, which I don't, to Nibbana. It's not your layness. Not every lay person is really lay. In the same breath, I'll have to add, not every monk is in every sense a monk. It's not layness, it's actually the lay attitude that is an obstacle to one's nibbana. So, whether you're a lay devotee or a monk, as I am, in the conventional sense, it's not layness that keeps you from attaining nibbana, it's the lay attitude. And I'll explain to you what I mean by the lay attitude. Because an attitude is a frame of mind, isn't it? It's not about how you are dressed, it's not about where you live, it's not about what you eat or who you live with. I used to live with five people, now I live with almost 200 people. I used to have to attend to the chores and duties of five individuals and now I do so for 200 individuals. Have I become more lay than I used to? In some senses of the word, it might seem like it. More duties, more responsibilities, more chores, and so on. So really, it's not that. It's an attitude that's a problem here. Let me explain to you, I'll talk to you about what that attitude is. Because then, what I want you to do is to ask yourself, do I have this attitude? If you have this attitude, then it matters not. Whether you are in white or you are in saffron, there's a long way to go to attain ibada. I want to talk to you today a little bit about what that attitude is. What is this lay attitude? You heard the singhala expression gihivata? Yeah. But generally speaking, when you hear these words gihivata, Immediately, the thought comes to mind is, you know, this is the life that you live. Waking up in the morning, living as a family, going to work, getting, you know, finding yourself a job, doing your education, getting your promotions, right? paying the bills, driving the kids to school, bringing them back home, cooking, right? all those things. That is nothing to do with lay attitudes. That's just a lay lifestyle. It's not about a lifestyle, this is about an attitude. As I said, there could be monks who live the lifestyle of a monk, but perhaps their attitudes are very much lay. I want to help you figure out what a lay attitude is today. And in doing so, scrutinize yourself. Look within and see if you have a lay attitude to life. So, the opposite of a gihivata is a pavidivata. Isn't it? This is the attitude of a monastic. Again, I'm not talking about how we are dressed. So, put aside the differences that you see. I'm talking about your frame of mind. I'm talking about your approach to things. I'm talking about how you perceive the world. Going through life, you will get to experience all sorts of things. The full breadth and width of the spectrum. As a young person, as an adult, as a male, as a female, as a parent, as a child, whatever your profession might be, you will get to experience life. That is what living is. Life is simply your vipakas. This is what life is. The sights you see, the sounds you hear, the smells you inhale, the tastes, the touch, these are life experiences. You can also wind up a story around all this and say, I met him, I am going to see him, we are going out for dinner, I am seeing a friend tonight, I am going to the movies, I am going to read a book, I am going to go on holiday, we are getting together for a drink, a cup of tea, going out for the night, I am going to go to work, I have got my exams tomorrow, these are stories that you have wound up, but fundamentally All you have are the things I mentioned earlier. Sights you see, sounds you hear, smells you feel, the taste, the touch, and the thoughts that you have. Agreed? Everything else is a story. Because it makes life livable when you have a story to tell, rather than say, you know, if you want to say, your children visited you earlier yesterday, they came to see you on New Year's Eve, Rather than say sight, sight, sights happen, sounds happen, smells happen, taste happen, sight happen, sight happen, sound happen, smell happen, you can simply say my children came to see me last night. Isn't that right? Yeah, you, you know, living would be hellish. So when things happen to you, when life happens to you, I want you to ask this I wanted to check whether you have a lay attitude to things or whether you have the, a monastic or a monk's attitude to things. See, the lay attitude to life is based on the principle that any time when I suffer, any time when I am vexing, It is always the things on the outside that are to blame for that. This is the lay attitude. And in much the same way, when there are things that make me happy, or when I am happy, it is the things on the outside that make me happy. This is the lay attitude. Now, as you listen to this, I want you to take a walk down memory lane, go back to the last, you know, two weeks we didn't have the sermon, or one week we didn't have the sermon, so two weeks you've been away, from the shelter of this roof and I want you to ask yourself, think about some situations in which you took a lay attitude to things. You could have done it, I could have done it. So this is not about what you see. It's about how you responded to things. See if you had a lay attitude to things. Think about if your children, for instance, did they annoy you last week? Did they do things to annoy you? At the workplace, did your colleagues, did they do anything to annoy you? Were you annoyed? Were there things that happened at home or around that bothered you? Perhaps it was your neighbours. Did they party late into the night? You were trying to get some sleep. It kept you up at night. The sound kept you up at night. But the following morning you woke up grumpy. And you were waiting to give them a piece of your mind when you saw them. But you've got to be polite. So instead of saying, hi, good morning, how are you? You just said, morning. Was that what happened? Or maybe you were stuck in traffic. Driving to work, driving to the supermarket. Someone pulled up up in front of you without warning. See whether you had a lay attitude to that. Did that annoy you? Did that bother you? Someone turned up unannounced. These things happen, don't they? Hmm? People turn up unannounced. You had your day planned out. You had lots of things you wanted to do, get done that day. It was In fact, you even had booked a day off because you had a lot of things to get done. And then someone just turned up. You heard the bell. Ding dong. Oh no. Keep quiet. Let's pretend no one's at home. Then you have a little one at home. He screams at the top of his voice. Someone's at the gate. Ah, <laughs> uh, too late. So he said that we are going to pretend that Ami and Tati are not at home because we've got lots of things we need to get done today. Okay, in fact, Tati is not at home. All right, said Tati. So you know what happens next.
1: Hmm?
0: So what does he do? He walks up to the gate.
1: Hmm?
0: The Joneses are here. They say hello. Hello, young man, how are you? I'm wonderful. Where's your dad? Oh, he said he's not at home today. (laughs) And then, obviously, dad hears this, so he stood behind the door. I was just joking, did you get a joke? Come on in, come on in. Oh, so lovely to see you, come on in. I'll talk to you later. No playtime today. <laughs> right? And that ruined your day. And then after that, you know, you had to wear the smile on your face. You know, the hardest thing to do, wearing a smile on your face when really inside your smile is turned upside down. So that's how the afternoon got wasted. And then when they left, you were like, Oh, so glad to see the back of them. These things would have happened. You know, this is what life is, right? Unexpected things happen. You can't always plan how life treats you. Or maybe it was the cat. The cat is still learning that the toilet is outside. Hmm? not your bed, or not the new rug, that Persian rug, not that one. It's still learning. That happened. Now, ask yourself, did you have a lay attitude to that? Did that bother you? Did that anger you? Did that annoy you? Someone might have accused you of something you hadn't done. What was your approach to that? Did you feel that this accusation, which is, you know, that deserves, I've not done this, how come you accuse me of this? You deserve capital punishment. Did you feel that way? Did you feel like you had, they had to be told off? You were so annoyed See, I'm giving you examples so you can, you can go back. I'm giving you various examples because, you know, I wasn't there when it happened with you. So I'm just throwing stuff at you. You keep going back and see whether that happened, this happened and so on. It was the morning. You were getting ready for work, right? And your plan is normally to iron your clothes in the morning. Bad habit. But some people still do that. <clears throat> and then there was a power cut. So, the, the shirt that had just come out of the dryer looks like papadum. Now you go to iron the thing, right? And switch on the iron, nothing's working, there's a power cut. How did you feel at that time? Or oh, you were trying to button your shirt up and one comes off. How did you feel at that time? Did you have a lay attitude? Or did you have the monastic attitude? It is not your layness that keeps you from Nibbana. It is your, not layness, it's your lameness. In other words, it's the lay attitude. There have been times when people would have borrowed things from you and they keep promising you, I'll give it back, I'll give it back, I'll give it back, right? Maybe it's money, maybe it's a book. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a utensil in the kitchen. Something. Maybe it's the mamati or the crowbar.
1: Hmm?
0: Your neighbor next door saw you working in the garden and said, Can I borrow that? If you must. Is what you thought. Sure. I couldn't, I couldn't, you couldn't have asked any sooner, could you? And so you lent it. That was 25 years ago and you're still waiting for it. Every time he sees you, he promises you. That thing is now ancient. In fact, if he would return it to you, <laughs> they'd come from the museum and they'd confiscate it. <clears throat>
1: hmm?
0: Yes. But see, you know, these things happen. Sometimes, you know, as you, excuse me, live together as spouses, right, and uh, things happen, right? You want it red, she wants it green. How does that make you feel? Do you have a lay attitude? It's not having a wife that's the problem. It's your lay attitude that's the problem. It's not being married that keeps you from attaining nibbana. it's the lay attitude. It's not having children, it's the lay attitude. It's not having all the wealth in the world. In fact, it's not even being the president of the country. I'll further explain this in the three-dimensional view so that you, you know, you will, you'll be convinced further if you, ha- if you aren't already. And after that, I'll teach you the value of being a zero. So, go back to last week, go back to the week before and ask yourself when these things happened to you, how did you feel? What was your approach? You know, it's perfectly fine if you felt angry. It's okay. Because that feeling of anger sometimes might be what you feel threatens your path to Nibbana. It is not. It's not the feeling of anger. Because anger is like smoke. It is evidence of the fire beneath. That is the problem. Maybe you were glued to the TV, you couldn't get yourself up. You thought, I'm only going to watch for half an hour, I just want to catch up on the news for the day, and you sat down, and then three hours later you're still there, you've got lots of other work to do, but you just can't get yourself up. It feels like you're glued to the sofa. You just can't get up. Those things might have happened. Or maybe, you know, with the children, computer games. Perhaps it was, you know, your phone, you're browsing your social media. I'm sure most of you will have been in this situation where you pick up the thing, right? You go on it just to check a message or send a message to someone and, you know, the damn wall comes up, right? Now, it's designed to hook you in and to keep you there. (coughs) Excuse me. So, one scroll of the thumb, that's it. That's a portal, you know, it, it, it absorbs your thumb, and then, the rest of you. And now, uh, on those occasions, you might have felt, no, I need, I need to stop this, I need to get out of this. But you can't. You, you tried, you honestly tried, you did. Sincerely, you tried. But, you, you feel like, right like, now I need to put this away. And then the next video comes up, just this one and then I'll put it away and then soon after that is played, the next one. And then now they have the top comments at the top right. right. So those comments are there to lure you in, to find out what else people had to say. Because you know, it's so curious, people are so curious, they want to know what other people had to say. So one thing led to the other, led to the other, led to the other and several hours later, you put the phone down, finally exhausted, thinking, why did I waste? three, four hours of my life, now how do I get it back? You can't. Now you just have this sour taste of guilt. You know there's so much work you had to get done. And perhaps you bought that time from someone, or maybe it was at work, or maybe you had to convince someone to give you that time off to do that, and you couldn't do what you had to do, because you were glued to your Facebook. These things happen, folks. It is your attitude that is a problem in all of these situations. Living with your relations, is that easy? We can talk about that all day long, can't we? It's almost like it's a test from God, Hmm? whether you can stand humanity. Because your friends you can choose, but your relations you can't. The funny thing is, they say the same thing about you. Hmm? When your brother in law, your sister in law, your mother in law, hmm? or perhaps it, maybe it's your brother, maybe it's your cousin, maybe it's your niece, they come over or they ring you and you have to talk to them. Think about those times where they are your visitors or you're their visitors, and you know you just have to you just have to play it out, but you know there are very subtle things that they say that you know they know you know that they know that it annoys you, but you've got to keep quiet you know you shouldn't mention that because you don't want a rift in the family, but you know that they know that it annoys you, so you both know that it annoys you but Just keep quiet about it. And then you will have something to retaliate with. So you know that they know that you know it annoys you. But the spoken word seems harmless. But only the two of you know what the underlying intention was. Subtle hints. Hmm? These things just fly like tennis. This side to that side, that side to this side. These are situations you'll find yourself in. See, I mean, there's no end, right? You've you've got how many years of experience of going through this? Yes, that many. All those years, you've gone through life. If there's one reason, and the only reason why you felt like this lifestyle, how am I ever going to attain Nibbana? (coughs) Excuse me. It was not the lifestyle, is what I'm here to tell you today. It is not the lifestyle. It's not the way you dress. It's not the places you have to go, the duties you have to fulfill, it's the responsibilities that you have to fulfill. It's not that, folks. Just because you move to Sudhumine Sugama doesn't mean you're going to get any closer to Nibbana. It's not how it works. In much the same way, just because you, attend, you become a monk doesn't mean you're going to get any closer to Nibbana. You will, of course, have the presence of Kalyanamittas, but that in itself is not going to be the deal breaker. The deciding factor is what your attitude is. So let me explain this to you. <clears throat> I'm going to have to use the board for this, and if there are those at the back who struggle to see, then please let me know. I'm going to make use of stuff we've talked about in the past, but hopefully this will help you connect the things we have talked in the past What aspects are vipaka? What aspects are karma? How you produce your suffering? How you generate suffering? And what you really need to do to change a lay attitude to a monastic attitude? If you have the right attitude, I'm really not concerned about where you are right now. It's okay, you can be there. We talked about the five senses the eye, ear, nose, tongue, and the body. We've talked about the five senses. Can you see it from there, sir? <clears throat> These five senses are constantly sources that bring you the very vipakas that you would have once generated. These are the portals which open you to the vipaka world. If these sense organs didn't exist, you wouldn't have the foggiest idea of what vipaka is. So it's these five sense doors, you can include the mind, which brings you thoughts and memories, But these are the vipakas. So these are the vipaka doors, and these vipaka doors come into contact with the very vipaka that you would have once generated. And once the two come into contact, (coughs) what you have is a chitta. What you have is a chitta. You can also call it an object. So we know sight objects, sound objects, taste, smell, touch, and so on. These are called objects. In Pali, it's called an arama. Okay. Now, week before last, we talked about the mind being a process. We talked about it several loca- on several occasions, but I reminded you that the mind is a process. It's the minding process, right? Rather than thinking of the mind as something like this, an object, it's not an object, it's something like this. What is this? It's a doing thing, right? It's a process. But this is an object. So the mind is a process, it's not an object. Why do we need a process? Well, we need a process to process things. Like your washing machine. Like the washing machine on the inside, it pro- there's a process going on. You put your dirty clothes, the water comes in, the soap comes in, right? Fabric softener, whatever, and tumble, wash, twist, turn, and then you get the end product. When objects arrive, these objects have to be perceived. The objects have to be Perceived. Perception is a five-step process. Perception is a five-step process. So far, I'm explaining to you things you already know. I'll get to the bit that I want to really share with you in just a moment. But this is for those whom, for whom this might be new as well. So this is a five-step process. I'm going to draw uh, the mind. Imagine this is a tube. Within this tube, so there's a five-step process, or you can think of like a conveyor belt. Okay? So a conveyor belt or a tube. And this object has to go through this conveyor belt or this tube, and it comes out the other end. Fair enough? Remember, Last week, uh, I'll say last week for simplicity. Last time we spoke, I asked you to give me five words for Nibbana. Do you remember? I asked you to give me five words for Nibbana. What are they? Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana. Yeah? We talked about how Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana are really synonymous with Nibbana. Here we are talking about Sopadhi Sesa not Anupadhi Sesa Nibbana. What is, is Sopadhi Sesa Exactly. exactly. Sopadhi Sesa is the eradication of defilements, or kles. Anupadhi Sesa is the eradication of, or the passing away, of all the five aggregates. That's not what we are talking about here. Because for that you don't need to do anything. You are practicing the path, the Noble Eightfold Path, this virtue, these practices, listening to the Dhamma, all of this is for one thing, and that is to achieve Sopadisesa Nibbana, which is the eradication of defilements. So if the eradication of defilements is what we need to do, and not the eradication or the cessation of the five aggregates, then, would it not be fair to say that the five aggregates is another word for Nibbana, there you go. So the five aggregates is another word for nibbana. So imagine you become an Arahant. Hopefully that's not just an imagination. Hmm? One day it'll be a reality, right? But for now, let's imagine you become an Arahant. What are you at that point? This body, which is again Rupa. And then besides that, mental objects. So that is again Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and vinyana. So that is what an arahant is. And hasn't an arahant attained so nibbana? Well, there you go then. Nibbana is rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, vinyana. Which is why it would be erroneous to think that the cessation of the arising of rupa, or vedana, sanya, sankara, or vinyana, is nibbana. That is when you go to the arupa. Right? If you at any point feel that nibbana is the eradication or the a suppression of the five aggregates, then you're off the track. And you go into the Arupa world and you get stuck there for a very long time. But that is not what Nibbana is. Nibbana is the cessation of Raga, Desha, Moha. This object needs to go through this pipe while it's processed and then come out the other end. So arise and pass away. Let's look at the, 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 the mind process of an arahant for a second. I'm going to change this to something else so you can better understand. It's just a mental object, that's all. You can think of it as sight object, sound object, whatever, right? Imagine this is a ball, right? Now this ball just needs to roll on this belt or through this tube and come out the other end. During this process, or during the passage of this ball, this object, in this thing that we call the mind, remember now this is, this is, although I've represented this as an object, a pipe, this is actually a representation of a process, okay? There are five things that need to happen here. What's next? Recognition, then response, and finally perception. So by the time this gets here, the minding process has achieved what it needs to do. There is no other job for the minding process. So let me give you an example. Imagine it's this duster. This duster now you see, so it's come through that sense door. This. Now, it's ready to be minded. I'm making up some funny words, but it's only to help you better understand this, okay? It's ready to be... Mound? <laughs> minded. Okay? So, you put it here, where the, the mind is ready to accept this, it's ready to process this object, and now it's received. So that process receives this. Ready to continue the processing. Next, it registers it. Next, recognizes it. But at that point, you are not going to be able to say that this is the whole thing. These are all aspects that need to be complete because the ultimate goal is perception. Today you look at this and go, this is a duster. That's because not not simply recognition has happened. Perception has happened. Okay? Because the fact that you know that this is used to rub, erase, right? It's all, that, that has to happen here. This is the response part. So then response and finally perceive. So by the time this (coughs) object, so it goes rolling and it gets to this point. Now you can say, ah, this is whatever it is. This is that sound, this is this smell, this is that taste, this is this object. All good so far? Okay. This is called the minding process. In other words, this is what you do inside these bodies of yours. This is the the, the magic that happens within these bodies of yours. This six foot bundle of muscle and bone inside of it, this is what happens. Okay? Right. Now what's the problem then? This is the monastic attitude. What? The monastic attitude is this. You'll explain. You'll you'll understand it better when I show you next what the lay attitude is. Let's look at now the lay attitude. It's the same object, and the processes are. The sub processes are, are no different, it's still Rupa. Sorry, uh, still, yeah, so it's still receiving, registering, recognition, responding, and perception, no difference there. But imagine at these points. The tube was perforated and you could drop some screws. Okay? So you drop the screw like this to some 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 degree, right? And here all the way. Okay? Here, say halfway. Can you all see this okay? Here, again, all the way. Then, here, just a tiny bit. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the lay attitude. What's going to happen now, when this ball comes rolling? Hmm? Yeah, you are not going to be able to get any further than this point. Yeah? Because, it's not free to move. You have set in place a specific obstacle or condition, um, what we call a vidya. A way, yeah. This is the way I want it. I want it this way. That is a lay attitude. Things in this world have to be this way, my way. So this my way is the lay attitude. So what happens now? This thing cannot pass through. Therefore, whenever this object comes into contact and hits this, it collides with this, how do you feel? Oh, yes. That's when you feel anger. That's when you feel vexation. That's when you feel frustration. That's when you feel annoyed. Now I want you to understand how you feel these emotions. This is what's happening. So what is the typical lay approach? Those with the lay attitude, what is the lay approach? Let's look at the lay approach. You want this to pass, but you're not ready to change. So now what do you have to do? You're gonna have to change this. Yeah? you're going to have to change this. So what do you do? You'll either come up with a way to squeeze this right, and compress this so that it can pass through here or you're going to have to change this altogether. I don't want that one. Give me another one. Give me something else. Give me something that fits my way. Give me something that fits my way. I don't like... This way, give me something that fits my way. So now this can pass, until it comes to this point. Now it still won't pass from here on. So again, what do you have to do? Either squeeze it further, or warp this. And you say, actually, you know what, I don't write like round things. Give me, give me square things. Give me square things, because those are the things that can pass through my way. See, before you had the highway, anything could pass. But now you have it, my way. So when you have the my way, things that used to happen on the highway can no longer happen. So now you have to have very specific things in this world that please you. And there are things in this world now that annoy you. So now this can pass. And when that passes, you feel, woohoo, You, feel, you say, I feel good. <laughs> because that passage of that object brings you a feeling of pleasure. Because you are trying to get something to pass through and you know, the moment when, the, you know, this is like a lock and key mechanism. You know how the lock works, right? You, when you slide in the key, there are, the, the lock is designed to have these, like, they're not screws, but they're more like, a, uh, what would you say? Spikes. Yeah, thank you. So something like that, which they have to move up and down to allow the key through, right? And that combination makes the key a unique combination. So you see, this is the same thing that's happening here. When you have a specific combination and that combination has to be fixed. Now, there are very specific things that will please you. And there are other things that can annoy you and upset you. Now, if you ever wondered, why is it that there are things that make me angry? Here's the reason. You are not prepared to change. Now here's the other part of
1: this.
0: (laughs) These are the fruits of the seeds that you sowed, not me. It's now too late to change them and ask for something else. These are the fruits of the seeds that you sowed. You are responsible for the things that come to you. But now you say, I don't want that. Give me something else. But hey, that's what you sowed. So this is what you're going to reap. But the very things that you sowed, now you reap, and now you're saying, I'm not ready for that. Give me something else. This is the lay attitude. Now here, let me explain to you further how you come into problems, and you have misunderstandings with people, and how people get into fights and all these things. Right? Let's say this is the husband. Okay, and this is the, uh, the, the, the colour of the wall. Hmm? Now what colour your bedroom needs to be. Okay, so the husband has, say this configuration of Rupa Vedana Sanya Sankara. Or this thing, and this is the combination for red. This is the combination for red. Okay, now let's look at the wife. What is she like? Did I hear someone say pink? Mm -hmm. Okay, pink. Now for the object to flow through this pipe without friction, without obstacle, this should be what shape? There should be another, a different kind of shape. So it could possibly, like this will go through first initially, but then after that it should be something else. Maybe it should be this shape. And uh, say, uh, perhaps this could be a bit longer, right? Or somehow a different shape to this, because this, that fit in this, is not going going to fit here. It's a different shape. Now, you could also think of this as, say... Uh, so we said the, the, the color pink, for instance. OK. And now what happens? When pink is presented to this configuration, there is conflict. I don't like that because that is not my way. When red is presented here, that's I don't like that. I want it a different way because I have my way. These ways have been set because of the drushti, The exposure, the indoctrinations that they have had over a period of time. Maybe they saw them when they went to their friend's place, maybe it was a TV advert, maybe someone said, you know, it looks nice if you painted these walls pink or red or whatever. And whenever they feel that something is good, these screws are dropped to that distance and then they are set. So what is the lay attitude? I'm not prepared to change, who must change? You must change. What is this person's attitude? I'm not ready to change, you must change. Now, the two people, what happens? Fight. Haven't you heard of stories where these things lead to divorce? Sometimes people divorce because they couldn't decide on whether the toilet seat should be up or down. No seriously, they couldn't decide on whether the toilet seat should be up or down. So they divorced because of a toilet seat. Till death do us part, they said. Hmm? They should have said till we go to the toilet do us part. Because (laughs) that's all it took for them to part. What does the dhamma help you do then? What does the Dhamma help you do? The Dhamma helps you attain Nibbana. How so? Well, you see, what is Nibbana? In other words, whatever this is, whatever this is, I accept it. The way it is, is the best way it could be. I accept it, no matter what comes in. You're okay with anything and everything. I don't mean this from a conventional per perspective. You know, in the in the world outside, you know, there are ways in which things ought to be, right? We stop at a traffic light. You can't just say, "I'll just," you know, everything's fine the way it is. You can't say that. When you walk outside, you've got to be dressed. You've got to be dressed appropriately, right? As a monk, I have to shave my head. These are things that have to be done, and that is convention. But those are not reasons for one to be upset inside, in the mind. If the mind is ever upset. If the mind ever feels vexed, it is because you do this inside. If you will accept what I have explained to you, ladies and gentlemen, you will have accepted responsibility for your own happiness and your own suffering. What is the lay attitude? I am fixed. This has to change. Remember, uh, getting two people to agree on one thing is one of the hardest things to do. And besides, even if it's not another person that has to agree with you, there's still nature, there's still nature, right? Nature will have its own way of working, right? And then what happens when nature comes against you? So then how do you, how do you work? You know, you don't like it to rain today. Well, tough, it rains. So I don't want it to rain is your configuration, is the setting that you have for yourself, and it's fixed. You want it to be that way, and it rains. Now who are you going to discuss whether it's going to rain today or tomorrow or not? Who are you going to debate with? There's no one to debate with, no one to discuss with. You just have to put up with it. So what does the Dhamma help you do then? The Dhamma helps you to unscrew these. Because what will have happened throughout samsara, you have always practiced this. This dropping the screws and tightening them. Okay. Throughout samsara you will have practiced this and now is your, is your chance, is your opportunity to start unscrewing them. But initially it's going to be very tough because it will feel like they are cemented. The dhamma has the medicine, it has the lubricant. It is the lubricant. Big <laughs> right? It has to remove the rust. So you start putting bits of dhamma in here. In fact, you could could think of it this way. This pipe, you send the dhamma as well, through this pipe. But what what it does is, it starts to attack these points where the screws drop from the surface. And these points are where it has been cemented. So now it starts to eat away into this rust. It starts to become mobile and now these screws can be adjusted. So now what happens? Whenever the object comes, then they move
1: to allow the object
0: to pass through. So, Rupa Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana they move to allow the object to pass through. So therefore, any type of object can pass through. That is what the Dhamma does. This is the attitude, the monastic attitude to life. Here you see, the lay attitude to life. So whether you're a lay or a monastic doesn't depend and doesn't rely on your lifestyle. It's not your lifestyle that matters. The reason I want to share this with you, and I have shared this with you, is because I want you to contemplate on how you approach things in life. You know those examples I gave you earlier, when things annoy you, right? When you get into difficult situations and people upset you, disappoint you, right? If you feel this mental vexation inside, please understand, it's your problem. It's not that that's causing this. Because the same thing passing through someone else's mind will not bother them. And you know now why. Because if, that, if they have a, a different configuration which allows the easy passage of that object, then it doesn't bother them. It in fact makes them happy. But why does it annoy you? Because you have a different configuration. You have a com- configuration that is not complementary to the object that's passing through. Therefore you suffer. Now who's responsible for your suffering? Exactly. Are you ready to accept that? That is the first step to becoming a monk. (laughs) But you'll see some robe-bearers, from time to time, who will get very upset about what other people do or what other things that happen to them and they might even go and get into fights and shout at other people and accuse and blame and, you know, do all sorts of things that even lay people wouldn't think of doing. So therefore, they are not monks in this sense. They don't have the monastic attitude. They are much, much, much further away from Nibbana than someone who lives the lifestyle of a layperson but have the attitude of a monastic. It's the choices that we make in our life, folks, that decide where you go. It's not who you are today. See, the choices you make are dependent by the attitudes that you have. Who you are today may be a layperson, but that is not the choice you make. The choice you make, it depends on the attitude that you have. I want you to bear this in mind as you go back to your homes and on the way back to your work, to your school, right? Be with friends, right? And, and see how these things, how you can apply this, this, this concept to the things that happen to you. You know well and truly that life will throw all sorts of unexpected surprises at you. You know, from a death in the family, to someone being diagnosed with a terminal illness, right? To a a loss, hmm? to perhaps, you know, some kind of grievance, or maybe accusations. Having to depart from loved ones, having to be with people you don't like. All of these things are adversities that life will throw at you. Ask yourself, what is my attitude now? Because your attitude alone will determine whether you're going to be able to live a happy life or not. The, the most important thing I ask of you from today, from, from explaining this to you today, is can you please stop pointing your finger at the outside world and say it is they or that that makes me unhappy? For as long as you do that, you're a million miles away from Nibbana. I can say that responsibly. Every single time you say, it's that that makes me unhappy, it's her, it's him, it's them, it's the, co- it's the economy, it's the politicians. Huh? It's they who make me unhappy, it's who- they who make me angry. How can you expect me to be happy when these people, they're messing up the country? Okay? If you feel upset, I'm not talking about when you see something's wrong and you have to go and address that. Even if you walk down the street and you see a broken pipe, what should you do? You ring the waterboard. That's what you do. If you can fix it, you fix it. Otherwise, you ring the waterboard. Ask someone to come and fix it. Now, this is a problem that has to be fixed. It's a a conventional problem. It has to be fixed. I'm talking about when you feel mental vexation. This mental suffering is your own product. You make it up. Why? Because of this. You having your way. Anyone who has their way is a long way off from Nibbara. Long way off from Nirvana. Think about it. Now, as I explain this to you, I want you to go into your life and see if there are situations in which this, this might have happened. So this is time for you to meditate. We don't need to set aside separate time for meditate. As I explain this to you, ask yourself. Remember the last time at work where you were upset with someone? Something annoyed you, something bothered you. Maybe at school, something happened. Someone took something that belongs to you. How did you feel at that time? If you had to wear a frown on your forehead, when you could have worn a crown, why? Because of this. This is when you wear a crown, this is where you wear a crown. So how does one get from this to that? That is what you're here for. How do you get from this to that? Now let's talk about that. We've been talking about separation. Do you see separation? Don't you see separation here? See, this is separate from this. When you believe that a separate entity, Exists and that is what is good. Now you set that up in your mind. A separate kind of Rupa, which we will call Rupa Upadana, a separate type of Vedana, Vedana Upadana, a separate kind of Sanya, Sanya Upadana, a separate kind of Sankar, Sankar upadan. a separate Vinyan, Vinyan Upadana. The combination of these five things, now a very separate configuration, a very distinct configuration from something else. Now you have good and bad in this world. Things that you like and things that you don't like. This is the sense of separation. It all happens because you feel separate. You feel you are unique. You this is this is the all the making of jati. Right? When jati happens in the mind and you feel that you are a separate being, a separate person, a separate entity to everybody and everything else, from that point forward you have to, you can't help yourself, you have to see everything else as being separate. And when you start seeing everything as being separate, now there are things that make you happy and there are things that make you unhappy. What are the things that make you happy? You separate this in this configuration and now when something passes through, Without obstacle, that's when you say, that's a nice thing, that's a beautiful thing. I like it. That's what what happens there. When you have a configuration and things don't pass, they come and collide with your configuration. They collide with your configuration. Now there's friction. That's when you say, I don't like it. It makes me annoyed. It makes me angry. I'm upset. That is because, again, you have something separate to what the real thing is. This is the vipaka. So the only way to be truly happy, no matter what vipaka comes, is really to rid the mind of all this and stop screwing yourself over. Once the mind is free of all this, now you see, it simply receives, registers, recognises, responds and perceives. But when you have a certain type, a certain kind, a certain way of receiving that you want, that's when you start dropping that screw and saying, right, I only want these kind of rupa, I only want these kind of vedana, I only want these kind of recognition, sanya, these kind of sankara, these kind of vinyana. Now what have you done? You've separated the entire world into two parts, the things that I like and the things that I don't like. So therefore, you can no longer enjoy the whole world as it is. You, can't, you can no longer enjoy all of God's creations. Now you have some things you like and some things you don't like. Aren't you punishing yourself? This is self-inflicted punishment, which you don't need to do. This is the lay attitude when you expect the outside world to change. So put yourself into these situations. I mean, you know, I'll tell you one thing I I do in life, folks. I've, I've done it in my past, but I do it more so now because I understand better and more fully that this is where the problem is. If ever there's something that upsets me, I never walk away from that. But it might have been my behaviors in the past. If there was something that annoyed me, I would walk away from that because I don't want to be feeling annoyed, right? No one enjoys that. But now I know that that sense, that feeling of annoyance, that feeling of annoyance is is simply an indicator to me that there's an underlying problem, so I don't walk away from it. The best analogy I can give you is, you know, if you get into a car and you turn on the, before you switch on the ignition, you switch the key to the on position, right? And then all your indicators come on on the dashboard, yeah? And they say... You know, a light comes on and say there's not enough fuel in the car. Then another light comes on and say the indicators aren't working. Another will say that there's not enough pressure in your, in your tyres, right? Whatever. And then something goes beep, 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 something's wrong, not enough you know, fuel or something. What's the first thing you do when you hear all those things? You plug your ears? Hmm? Or you remove all the wiring? On the dashboard, I don't want to see any of this rubbish. You only go buy a card. You ask, "Can you please give me a card that has no indicators on?" On the dashboard. In fact, if it stopped working, what would you do? If your indicators stopped working, you know, not the left-right indicators, the indications on the dashboard. If they stopped working, what would you do? You'd go to the garage and you'd get them fixed, wouldn't you? If one of the bulbs have gone off, you would get it replaced because you want to know that something's wrong. Isn't it? Best be prepared. Then be sorry. Yeah? So you want to know what's wrong. Now in the same way, what are the indicators that you have that something's wrong with you? There you go. Well done. Anger is an indicator that something's wrong with you. Sensual thoughts are indicators that something's wrong with you. Egotistical thoughts are an indicator that something's wrong with you. Your fight should not be with those three things. Your fight should be with the underlying problem. Because those are simply the indicators. But oftentimes, you know, I come across people who come and tell me, Swami Nasa, I feel like this. I feel angry. I don't want to feel anger. Can you help me? Anger is simply the symptom. This outwardly expression, anger, is simply the symptom. It's not the problem. The underlying problem is, see, this separation. So you want, what people really say, tell me is, they want to be like this, but they don't want to feel angry. Again, they are saying, this is my way. <laughs> Isn't it? So my way, I want to keep my way, right? But I don't want to feel anger, because anger, you know, I don't like that feeling. I don't like it when I have to... My heart starts beating faster, you know, and starts sweating. and I don't like that feeling of anger, but I want to keep my way. That is, again, their way. That's not the way it works. Or if you have sensual feelings, lustful, de- lustful desires, you know, those are not the problems. <clears throat> those are simply indicators of an underlying problem. That's why, you know, sometimes we get people, like young, young, young people who come to us and they confess with us about some problems they have. Sometimes it might be their addictions to maybe pornography. But what we, we don't tell them that these are dirty thoughts. We don't tell them that. That's nonsense. What's dirty is the fact that the mind has a separated configuration. In their minds they have, this is good. Therefore, anything that passes through that they'll say is lovely, is nice, it's good looking, wonderful. And anything that comes into conflict with that, any friction, and they'll say that's bad, that's dirty, that's ugly, that I don't like. So, which one is good? This this setting, or this setting? Which one's the right setting? They're both wrong. Because either way, you'll either be disappointed. So there'll either be pleasure or there'll be pain. Neither of these settings are right. This is the one that's right. Because here, there is no setting per se. Anything that comes, can pass. There is no room for vexation here, therefore there is no room for pleasure here. It is what it is. Completely and fully open to Vipaka. Whatever the Vipaka is, ready to accept it. So, what is the homework? Now, you understand this concept. If you have understood this concept, I want you to start thinking about the problems that you have through this model, okay? While you're here, there may be few occasions you can do this, but as you go home, after you go home, right, there'll be lots of potential situations into which you can apply this. Even as I speak, hopefully you are thinking about some, Uh, I could do it here, I could do it there, I could do it there, right, I see, I see. Whenever you feel a vexation, I want you to start to think about why it might be. Is it this to blame, or is it my setting, my configuration, my separate setting that is to blame? Once you recognize that, you will take complete and full responsibility for how you feel. That is where your Nibbana starts. Where does Nibbana start? When you take responsibility for your own suffering. In other words, when you take full responsibility for your own happiness. That is where Nibbana starts. Until you take that responsibility, Nibbana is a long way off. For as long as you expect the outside world to stop making you unhappy or to make you happy, right, Nibbana is a long way off. So, for as long as you have that lay attitude, of course you will not attain Nibbana. Whether you are dressed like that or you are dressed like this. That won't change. Does that make sense? Now here is what I want you to do as homework. You go back home, right? Life, live. Think about at least on three occasions, folks, please. Right? Think about three occasions into which you can you you would you could apply this, this concept. I'm not asking you to come back and share it with me per se, but you have those group discussions, right? On Saturdays. That could be a fantastic opportunity to share what you have experienced with one of the Swami Nuances. You can share with them and I'm sure they'll be more than happy to listen to what you have to say. And if there was a time where you struggled, they could help you with that. Because wherever you would have felt that, that vexation, it would have been either a Rupa Upadana, a Vedana Upadana, Sanya, Sankara, vijnana Upadana. This is clinging onto something. These are called the clinging aggregates. This is the aggregate, Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, vijnana. But the moment you drop these screws, now that's where you cling onto that setting, onto that configuration. Now, there are certain things you like and certain things you don't like in this world. That's the way it works. So I ask you to come up with three instances, three examples, in your day-to-day life. And you can come back and share it with the Swami Nancis. Swami this happened to me and this is how I thought about it. I realized that there's a certain setting that I had set in my mind and that is what caused me to suffer, not the outside world object. Why do I ask you to think about three examples? The reason is, it is your application of these concepts that will free you, not the knowledge. Knowing something and doing something are worlds apart. I can't emphasize that enough. Only those who do will free themselves. Those who know won't. Can I give you the best example of that? Have you all read self-help books? Self-help books, productivity books, right? Books that people have written on how to become a millionaire. You have, right? Yeah. Do you know that each of those books get proofread and typeset? Hmm? Yeah, they get typeset right before they get sent to the publishers and they get printed and then they land on your table as a book, right? So what about the typesetter? You read maybe sentences, maybe paragraphs, maybe words. You know what they read? Each and every letter. Have you seen a millionaire typesetter? But the typesetter, he or she, typeset the entire book, all 350 pages of it. But they're still typesetting. There's nothing necessarily wrong with typesetting, but what I'm saying is, if you'd ask them, wouldn't you like to be successful? They'll say, yeah, I wish one day I could earn a million. I wish one day I could be a successful, a rich person, but ah, I'm here typesetting, what can I do? The irony of it is, they read every letter of it. So if you ask them, they'll be able to give you front to back and back to front, everything that was in the book. So they have the knowledge What don't they have? Practice. That's what I'm saying. It's not knowledge that's going to save you. You don't need to know a lot. You only need to know very little. But that very little application of that is what's going to free you. Daruchiriya Maharatan Vahansa What did he hear from the Buddha? Just one verse. You go and ask him about these things, he'll be like, I don't know. <laughs> ask somebody else. Go and ask him about paticca sampada. He'll be like, paticca what? He won't know. All he had was what? ditte ditta matta. sute suta matta. mutte mutta matta. vinyate vinyata matta. Can't you see that now? What is ditte ditta matta? What is ditta? After all, seeing is simply seeing. Meaning? Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, and Vinyana, Let it be without clinging onto it. It's that clinging that causes suffering. As you can see now, see, this is the clinging that causes suffering. So, when Dharuchiriya heard the Buddha say this out loud, his wisdom was so. Sharp, yeah. His wisdom was so sharp, he was immediately able to contemplate and, and, and comprehend this, this truth. So he realized, ah, so it's not the outside world things that make me unhappy. Suffering does not come from the outside. If only I allowed ditte dittamattang to happen, I wouldn't suffer. He realized that. And that realization happened how? Just like this object comes through, Dhamma came through. Dhamma that he heard from the Buddha. Those words. And they were interpreted in his mind. And every time that word, those words hit his mind, what happened? You know, they started attacking on these, on these joints where the screws are hung. And they started to dissolve. The, the, the cement that was there. And now, those separations, those partitions, right? They all, those screws, they dropped. Now he was prepared for ditte dittamatta. Sute, sute matta that's the way it is so you don't need to know a lot but it is your application that is very important so why do I insist that you as ladies and gentlemen who live a lay lifestyle make use of every opportunity to practice it's because folks you know in, I know that in your life in the lifestyle that you live it's difficult to Find the right environment. It's difficult to find the right support, the right encouragement to do that. Because you live amongst people who will think that this is nonsense. You live amongst people who will say that this is rubbish. What a waste of time. What what are you talking about? Screws? All they'll be interested in is, if this doesn't work, change it flatten it, elongate it, crush it, swap it. That's what they'll say. But I'm telling you, that's not what you need to do. Let what is out there, let it be. Let the world be. You change. You're the one who needs to change. But that's very difficult to do for them because they don't know how to do it because they don't understand Anicca, Anatta and its application on Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana. So how is, the, how is the knowledge of Anicca, Anatta helping you here? Let's just spend a few minutes talking about that. Why do you drop these screws down here? Because you don't understand that Rupa is in fact Anicca. Because you believe, you don't you don't you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, you feel that this static configuration this fixed, this separate configuration, this condition, is what brings you happiness. Meaning, nature, this fixed nature, is a cause for Sukha, or, or, or happiness. And therefore, you keep and you maintain this separate being, this separate, sen- this separate setting, this separate configuration. You, you keep that in the hope that it's forever going to bring you happiness. But what does Anicca do? The the understanding, the knowledge of Anicca teaches you, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. These things simply change all the time. They're not fixed entities. They're simply energies, as we talked about last week. It's not fixed. It doesn't have to be fixed. And this setting, this separate setting, this fixed configuration is, is causative of Dukkha, which is what's happening here. It is causative of Dukkha. And once you understand that, now, Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta. Therefore, you go from a fixed setting, a separate setting, to one where, now I understand that, understood it now. It is that setting itself. These drop-in of the screws themselves, that has caused me suffering so far. So once I get rid of that, now anything can go. Anything is acceptable. Anything flows. I'm happy with anything. Right. Let me talk to you about the value of a zero. Before an of time. So three examples, okay? That's your homework. Is three enough? At least three. I, I I give you this as a task because I just want you to do it. At least because Rami has asked you to do three, you'll do three. <laughs> Won't you? But three is not the right answer. You should be doing it all the time. All the time right what is the value of zero typically zero has no value does it typically speaking zero is when you when you want to say that something has no value what would you say zero
1: Hmm?
0: nil nothing zero no value so there will be times in life where you feel like a zero other there are times you feel like a zero where you are worthless where you feel like you contribute nothing where you feel like everyone around you is far better than you are they are more knowledgeable they are more virtuous maybe they are better they they better practice the path unlike me you might feel or even even from a from a materialistic point of view you know maybe they are wealthier than you they are More affluent than you. Maybe they are, you know, they're healthier than you. Whatever. They're stronger than you. They have more authority than you. They're more powerful than you. Hmm? There'll be times where you feel like that. Even, you know, going back to school. Like, what happened when the school test results came? Hmm? How much, how much, how much did you get? Hmm? How much did you get? Right? Always comparing yourself with others. Because when you are someone... You have to park yourself somewhere, right? When you are someone, you have to always be either above, or below, or at the same level as someone else. This is a problem that all someones have. Where am I? It's a very... It's typical of someones to have this problem of where am I with others. So you can't help yourself from comparing yourself. You know, if you are at work, you know, perhaps, You know, maybe you compare yourself with your seniors and you wonder how much might that guy be getting paid? I wonder how much he gets paid. Does he get paid more than me? Can I find out how much he gets paid? These are things that will bother you sometimes.
1: Hmm?
0: How do I get to that level? How do I get to this level? I'm not simply talking about, you know, you becoming more successful. I'm talking about how you feel inside about how you compare with other people. And on those occasions, folks, you will feel like on occasions that you, you are a zero in comparison to others. So when you feel like you are a zero, you, know, you, will, you will immediately start to give other people values. You will say, okay, that guy, he's a, he, he's a five. Hmm? My boss, he's an eight. And sometimes you know this comparison can even happen at home, husband and wife. If, say, they are both competitive, maybe. You know, back in the day, in the time of our ancestors, you know the wife stayed at home, looked after the children, you know, attended the chores at home, and the husband went out to work to earn bread for the family. But now things have changed because people's needs, their desires, they've evolved into you know, insatiable, and therefore it's not enough anymore for simply one partner to go out to work. Both people have to go to work now. I'm not here to say whether that's right or wrong, I'm just saying that's the way the world is today. It's almost impossible to earn enough for one person to feed the family and to give the children and, you know, the lifestyle, to maintain the lifestyles that you live now. So you both have to now go to work. And usually what happens then is a child gets looked after by by the nanny, a babysitter or an outsider. Who then does whatever they want with the child. That's the topic for another day. Hmm? Yeah, let's not get there. So there'll be times when you feel that there are others who are better than you, bigger than you, more powerful than you. Yeah, so you say someone's a seven. Hmm? Someone else, you know, your brother. How, how? How? What is he? A six? Even among families, you'll compare, right? Because why? Why? People get used to this. When the, the, there are, say, two children at home, and after the exams, they bring their scorecards. And now the mother asks, how much did you get, Buddha? Which rank are you in class? Look, Buddha. which rank are you in class? And now, whichever one is better, generally. Not every family, but some families, now the parent shows more love and affection towards the child who has scored higher and has a better rank in class. Now you create a competitive environment between two siblings. Who's responsible? The parents are. So now to win the mother's love, hmm? to win praise and affection from the father and the mother, what does the child feel they have to do? Compete with their sibling. Fast forward a few years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. Now, the two brothers, they don't see eye to eye. Brother and sister, they don't see eye to eye because they've grown up as competitors with each other. So now they don't like to share what they have with everyone else in the family. That sense of affection and, 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 and that feeling of, you know, this is, this is my brother, we shared the same womb. All of that has now gone. That's just another competitor for my rival. That's what happens. So you ask yourself if this has ever happened to you, if you've seen this happen elsewhere, where did it all start? It all started with, you know, trying to reach an unreachable goal or trying to become a someone in this world and constantly feeding that fire. This is what happened. Parents are hugely responsible for this. Again, coming back to topic, I keep digressing. I feel like you know it's, it's boiling for a discussion another day. <laughs> Ripe for, for, for plucking another day. So there'll be these times where you feel like a zero. You'll feel like a zero, meaning someone who is worthless, valueless, unworthy of love, affection, worship, whatever. You know what you'll do though when you feel like a zero typically what people do when they feel like a zero they feel this feeling of uh, um, what complexity is it called inferiority right it's called the inferiority complex they feel like i'm I'm less'm I'm un- they undermine themselves what they typically do then is people who have this that sense of ego is they'll typically try to tie to try to put themselves ahead of others. They'll make elaborate attempts. Purposefully, deliberately, they'll try to put themselves ahead of others. So what they'll typically go and do is they'll go and stand in front of everyone else and say, I'm a big one. I'm the top one. Right. If, if my brother is a six, I'll go and stand in front of him. If my boss is a seven, I'll go and stand in front of him and look like, pretend that I'm, I'm the bigger one, I'm the better one. This is trying to put up a pretense that you are more than you are. Because of that, interior, that, that internal feeling of insufficiency, inadequacy, you try to pretend that you are more than who you are. If ever you feel people do like that, it's, it's because they have this sense inside that they are not enough. You, they need love folks, that's what they need, not punishment. Give them love, give them respect, and help them to, you know, regain that sense of self-esteem. We, we see that from time to time. Anagarika Mahatmyas, Anagarika Mahatmyas, you know, they come to us and we can see because sometimes it's because they've not had love and affection in their homes. Growing up, maybe the mother and father were always fighting with each other. So they never experienced love, they never experienced respect between their parents. No mutual respect was ever experienced, therefore they grew up always fearful always frightful. At home, they had to be quiet as a mouse. Because the dad, the dad, it was more a devil than a dad that they had at home. And the mother and father were always fighting with each other. So they never experienced love between the parents. We, we see that. Very often we see that. And then we know that what they need is respect. What they need is love. So we give them that. And slowly, but surely, they change. Until that change happens, internally, there's a huge fight going on and they always try to show that they're better than others. You can see that in people. They try to show that they're better than others. So they'll undermine others when they speak. They won't be able to appreciate someone's goodness. No matter how good some people are, all they'll see is their weak spots. How, how, you know, they'll do ten things well and one mistake and they you see, look, if mistakes like that, how can this person do this job? Ten things they did right, one thing they got wrong, they'll focus on the bad because that's what they learn to do. That is their nurture. Again, coming back to topic. So when people feel like a zero, what they'll typically do is they'll go and stand in front of everyone else to try and pretend that they're bigger and better than everybody else. Now that zero, what is its value? What is the value of that zero? Hmm? Nothing right? The zero is simply a big fat zero, but if he's wise. Where do you think he ought to stand? Yeah. Exactly. If he is wise and if he feels that there are others who are better than him, there are others who are more knowledgeable than him, more educated than him, more powerful than him, more authoritative than him, all he needs to do is to go and stand in their shadow and learn from them. Help, let them guide him. Take lessons from them. So. Instead of standing there, all you've got to do is go and stand there. Allow others the chance. Because if you don't know, let others have a go. And watch them do it. And learn from it. Instead of trying to go and pretend that you are a big person, you are a, a grand person, and above and beyond everybody else. Now what is this person's value? Are you any longer simply a zero? No. No. In fact, what you managed to do here is you magnified or multiplied the value of each of these people standing in front of you, how many fold? Tenfold. Everyone standing in front of you, you multiplied their value by tenfold simply by going and standing behind them. If you went and stood there like you did earlier, does he care about you? No, like get like, get out of the way. Does he care about you? Does he care about you? How about him? Does he care about you? No. But now, you're standing here. Does he care about you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks to you, he's no longer a six. He's a 60. Does he care about you? Oh, yeah. He's no longer a 50. He's now a 500. Does he care about you? Does he care about you? Don't they all collectively care about you? Yes. All you had to do was go and stand in the right place. Now tell me. If you were stood there. Okay. And these guys. These guys. They got something. Hmm? Say they got a one. Who's going to get that? Is he going to get that? Hmm? No. Who's going to get it? He's going to get it. The rightful deserver. But, if you stood in your rightful place, and stood there, now these guys get one. Who's going to get it? <laughs> Who's going to get it? You're going to get it. They get another one. Who's going to get that? They're going to get that. Get another one. Who's going to get that? Another one. Still you're going to get that. Every time you stand there and let others... Have a go. Give something to others. Add value to others. Do you see how you add value to yourself, simply by doing that? Now every time they get one, you're the first person to get that. So your value increases day by day, day by day, simply because you have allowed others to have a go. You accept and you appreciate the value of others, because you understand who you are, you understand that you could always become better, Not by pretending to be bigger and better than, and bolder than everybody else, but by giving others a chance, giving others an opportunity. Helping others to guide you, taking instruction. See, this is a student. All of these things, all of these people are teachers to this individual. All of these individuals add value to this person. So even if they got a hundred, When you add two numbers together, where do you start? Where do you start? Start from here? No, you always start from here, right? There you go. So who always gets the first part, the first share, the first portion? Always the one at the, at the end. So, you know, in this world, even if you feel that your value is a zero, you can become and make yourself priceless simply by making the right choices. As I said, attitude is about making the right choices. Simply by going and standing in the right place. Allow others to help shape you, help guide you, help develop you, show you the light. But if you pretend to be the big shot and go and stand in front of everybody else, which is typically what zeros do, right? when they feel that sense of inadequacy, they'll pretend that they're bigger and better than everybody else and they'll go and stand in front of everybody else. Now you see, if this guy were to try and squeeze himself in here, what do you think six is going to do? Get out. Why? You explained to me how if he went and stood here, you know, they're not going to care, right? Because it makes no difference. But what if he tries to squeeze in before the six? What's six going to say? Out. Why is that? Because if this went and stood here, what happens to six? Pushed out, right? Yeah because he had the chance to be a 60. Now you're saying, no, you be a six. What if you went and stood here? This guy is now a 56. Had the chance to be a 560, but what you said was, no, I'm going to come and stand here. So he is not happy for you to come and squeeze in between. So see, if you just take the rightful place, then although you're a zero, you're a very valuable zero. So there'll be times in life where you'll feel like you're a zero, you're not worth much, okay, that you don't add, you don't contribute, you feel worthless, that you you feel unloved or not respected. Hmm? There'll be times when you feel like that. When those things happen folks, don't try to be someone who blows their own trumpet and goes and stands in front of everybody else like your king the best thing to do is help others, to help you. Because there's so much to offer. There's so much to offer. There's so much everyone else has to offer you, offer to you. All you've got to do is give them a chance. And to do that, all you have to do is go and stand in your rightful place. This is not saying that you should never make an attempt and strive to achieve your full ambition. What I'm saying is take the right approach doing it. Let others guide you. Allow others to show you the path. Allow a teacher to come into your life. Allow someone else to come and add value to your life. That's all you got to do. Does that make sense? So that is the value of a zero. If ever you feel like a zero, there will be times in life you'll feel like a zero. There will be, I'm sure you, there will be. And when, if ever you feel that way, Try and remember the lesson that I taught you today. All you got to do is go and stand in the rightful place. Say, let me apply to a simple example. Okay, let's say you have a friend in class who is much better than you at science. Okay, he always comes up top in class. Now, typically, if you are weak in that subject, Typically, people don't like to go and speak to that person and ask them, how do you do so well? Because it feels like it's an attack on their ego. Replay these words in your mind and and ask yourself, perhaps, you know, there might have been times in your life where you felt the same. You knew that there was someone who was better than you, but how many times were you stopped, your own intuition stopped you from going and asking them, hey, you're so good at this. How do you do it? Can you teach me? Can you share me? Share with me what you 've learned how can you how to become someone like you? Because you thought that asking that question was undermining yourself. You thought that if you asked that question, then you know you 'd feel so small in front of them so you, you you never bothered to go and ask that question. You always pretended to be better than them. There may be people in your workplace right they are more proficient in whatever they do than you, more skilled, more talented. All you've got to do is go and ask them, how do you become so good at what you do? How come you're such a good speaker? If you see successful people, you know, the best way to become successful is what? Go and ask someone who's successful how they did that, and then they'll teach you how. Isn't that what you come here for? Swami so, Nasa, mean, teach us how you become, how you, how you have achieved happiness, so that we can learn and do that. But this seems okay because socially it is accepted, right, that the lay people would go and speak to monastics and learn from them. But where socially it becomes unacceptable, socially it's not the norm, then people feel this, this feeling of you know, inadequacy, if they have to ever do that. But that's such a wrong attitude to have. For as long as you have that attitude, you're never going to be able to progress. I've seen personally, I've seen, you know, sometimes there are some Swami nuances who are really good in the value model. Sometimes they can sit for hours at a stretch in meditation. I've seen some Swami nuances, some Anagarika Go and talk to them. If someone comes and tells me, Swami nuhans, I, I, I want to be able to meditate better than I do now. How can I, how can I be better at this? Well, simple. Go and ask someone who does it well. And they'll teach you how to do it. That's all you've got to do. But if your ego gets the better of you, if you don't like to eat humble pie in front of somebody else, now who are you disadvantaging by doing that? You and you alone. Never be that guy. Because then you stick out like a sore thumb. Everyone else is out there, they're going to get help from others, right? Finding their rightful place and getting help from each one of them. If you become someone who pretends to be better than everybody else and goes and stand up here, nobody cares. You look like that naked emperor. You think you are fully clothed and you look royal, but as someone else, everybody else sees your nakedness. That is the truth. So whenever you feel like a zero, there'll be times you feel that way. Whenever you feel like a zero, Just convince yourself, all you need to do is go and find the rightful place to stand. Go and ask other people, they'll help you do that. Right, so I've given you three or one task to do, which involves look up, live, live, right, just live. You're okay doing that, right? Live. (laughs) (laughs) But live life through the length of Dhamma. Anytime you feel that you're vexing, you're annoyed, something's upsetting you, ask yourself, Am I clinging on to these aggregates, which you will be? Is there a setting? Is there a separate way that I have set for myself? Is there a my way here that I'm looking for? That your way is what is causing you this anger, this frustration, this annoyance. It's not the outside world that ever brought you pain, folks. That is the lay attitude that will keep you from attaining Nibbana. Break free from that. Sometimes people tell me, I I want to become a monk. Please help me." But I have some challenges, like right? duties, obligations. What can I do? Some sometimes we sit down with them and we talk through them. Right? We say, "Right, bring your fam- fam- bring your family, bring your spouses," and you know, we talk. They, Are you okay to allow this? this young man or this young lady to fulfill her path and, you know, fulfill her destiny. And typically, you know, there'll be times when they are okay with that. And then when all things are done and dusted and all problems are settled, they'll still say, but I think I need a few more months. I think I need another, you know, few weeks. I think I need another six months or so to make my mind up. See, that attitude is the lay attitude. When everything is working is in your favour. When everything has been set, lined up and you have a clear path ahead of you but inside you still can't make that you still can't take that decision. You still can't make that step forward. There is a lay attitude about you that is, in, that, is that sits between you and Nibban. That's why Guru Swami Nohasa says, right? Uh, he asked this question, yeah, my point is, for as long as there's a lay attitude, you can't attend it, a lay attitude is basically this feeling that it's the outside world, this life as a monk, that is going to cause me suffering. I need my mother with me, I need my father with me, I need my wife with me, I need my children with me, I need my friends with me, I need my car, I need my house, I need my wealth, I need my restaurant, I need my lifestyle. These things are what make me happy, and I'm not willing to change. That is the lay attitude. That attitude can never attain Nibbana. I'm not saying that that person can never attain Nibbana. I'm saying with that attitude, Nibbana is a million miles away. The moment that attitude changes, you are on the fast track to Nibbana. Even if one day I feel that, you know, this lifestyle, or this is, this is the problem, or I need to go into the forest, into a cave and start meditating there away from everyone else here you know again i've gone into a lay attitude because that is that is not nibbana if rupa vedana sanya sankar vinyana nibbana are there types of rupa that is nibbana and certain types of rupa that is not nibbana no the moment you do that immediately you've separated the world haven't you that's why i said the other day you know we are in some place in the valley Malu and you know they put up a gig Somewhere in town, right? And there we hear the music. Sometimes, you know, throughout the, throughout the night until the early hours in the morning, there's music. So now if I were to say, how can you attend, how can you meditate with that music on? I don't like that music. Again, what I've done? What I've done is, I've done one of these. Yeah? And now silence is the configuration that I have. Yeah? So now my Rupa is like this. This is the configuration for what? Silence. So now if anything else but silence comes in, friction. Nibbana is not silence. Nibbana is Rupa. Nibbana is Vedana. Nibbana is Sanya, Sankar and Vinyana. You eat your Nibbana. You devour your Nibbana. Because Rupa on its own is Nibbana folks as i said you know this is nibbana see this is nibbana on its own this is nibbana but you devour your nibbana you cannibalize it you do that by not allowing any type of rupa to pass through you set a typical a certain type of rupa i only want this kind of rupa immediately you, as you do that now that that very step that very action is what has taken you out of Nibbā. Because now you've said, there's a way in this world that I want. This is your wanting. Yeah, we talked about wanting, remember? Hmm? Ignorance is your blueprint for this. Okay, this is the blueprint. Someone tells you this is what's nice. So this is in your mind initially. Then attachment is your mental attachment to this. This is the configuration I want. And now next what happens is, you set this up in your mind. Now this is what you want. Now there's vexation. And the moment now your wanting is there, now only certain kinds of things can fit, others can't fit. So there's raga and there's dvesha. There's There's friction, there's affliction, and there's affection. These two things come into being now. So, the only way to attain Nibbāna, ekāya no maggu, sattā There's only one path to attain Nibbāna, there's only one way to do it and that is to give up your my way and change to the highway. Because on the highway there are no obstacles. That's the highway. Any, rib, any Rupa goes, any Vedana goes, any Sanya goes, any Sankara goes, and any Vinyana goes, I'm happy with anything. That way there's nothing in this world that can throw you out. Nothing in this world that can upset you. Sometimes people come, they, they spend with us for a few weeks, and they want to go. And you ask them, why do you want to go? They'll say, because I, you know, I, I miss my job. I miss the work I used to do. I miss the friends that I used to be with. right? What are they saying? I have my way. Hmm? I have my way. What's coming now is not that. So I want not me to change, I want the outside experiences to change. I used to have my friends with me hmm? and they used to fit in nicely because that's the way I had. But now I see Swami Nuan says, they don't fit here. I used to have chicken biryani and fried rice and pasta and spaghetti and bolognese and my pizzas and all that. Those things used to fit here because that was my setting. I'm not prepared to change my setting. I don't like what they feed here. We just have rice and dal curry. I don't like that. That has to change. So therefore what you have to do? You have to take this and go somewhere where you get that. Is that Nibbana? Nibbana is a change that happens within, not without. You can keep doing that. You can keep taking this and going places until you find somewhere where you're happy. You can keep doing that every day and all day long. (laughs) And live happily ever after. Well, at least live ever after. Nibbana won't happen. If there's something that is wrong, okay? Think about this and answer. There's something that is wrong, but it's so easy to do. Do we do that? Or there's something that is right, but it's terribly hard to do. What would you choose to do? What would you choose to do? The right one, right? But it's hard to do. Would you choose that? Or what's wrong to do, but easy to do? What would you choose to do? Right to do. It's easy to eat grass, isn't it? You don't even have to cook it. Walk outside, there's plenty of grass. If you're hungry, you can eat that. But it's not right to eat grass. Not at least in this form. So what do you do? You (laughs) You change the form. What do you do? You go and, you know, you you cook your food. Because that's the right thing to do. It's difficult. But you do it nonetheless. Because if something's wrong, if it's the wrong answer, folks, don't take the wrong answer, no matter how easy it is to do. Because you'll always be taking the wrong answer then. You'll never find a way out. But if something's right, yet it's difficult to do, if you but strive and fight for it, one day you will get out of it. One day you will free yourself. One day you will win. Become that kind of person. Remember, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. So, if ever you feel like something's getting tougher, then that toughness is getting ready to go. You understand what I'm saying? it's becoming easier because when you're when you're when you're walking up a hill okay if you're walking on flat land it will feel like it's just a, you know just taking a stroll no hard work no nothing laborious you just walk in but at some point it's going to feel harder tougher now you should know that you're climbing up you're going on a steep incline but if you just keep on at it at some point you're going to get to the peak and then from there on what's going to happen it's in fact going to be easier than when you walked on flat land. Yes or no? Because walking on flat land, gravity isn't helping you. But if you climbed up and you're at the peak and now when you start walking further, now gravity is your friend. You've earned it. Now all you have to do is lift yourself up. What you've earned will help you On your path further. Never be someone who'll settle for what is wrong no matter how easy it is. In life there'll be times when life will test you. Okay? It's easy to shout at someone. You're in the bus, you're at the petrol station, someone pulls up in front of you, someone steps on your toe. It's easy to shout at them. That's the easy thing to do but it's the wrong thing to do. Never settle for the easy thing. It'll be very difficult to fight that urge It'll be very difficult to fight, but go for that, folks. Make the tough choices in life. Because that's what makes you a man. That's what makes you great. Look at these people who became great. How did he go on to become the greatest one? He made tough choices. If, you're, if you always make, keep making average choices, you'll always be average. These are average choices, see? I'll keep myself the same and change the outside world. So to do that, all I have to do is earn a bit more, right? Go to work, do more hours, earn a bit more. And now I can just keep changing the outside world. If I don't like this car, then I want to buy another car. And say every six months, I want to change my car. What do I need to do? I just need to go and earn more money, right? Get myself some credit now I can keep changing my cars or get myself a promotion. That is what people do outside. You know, those days when I used to see rich people, I would revere them. I would think, wow, one day I also want to be rich. Today I realize richness is simply their excuse for not wanting to do what needs to be done. They went on to become rich because they didn't know what really they had to do or what they really had to do. So now they have money, they have wealth. I'm not saying I've got anything against that. What I'm saying is that's not the answer. Because now what does wealth allow you to do? Change this, change the outside thing. Time and time and time again until you're happy. And then after a while this keeps changing. This keeps changing, now that keeps changing. This keeps changing, that keeps changing. Because you've got to change that when this changes. Doesn't it? Yeah, you've got to keep changing this. But if you did the right thing and changed this once and for all, now you can live a life like this? Yeah, I don't choose this life because it's easier. It, that's not the reason. This life, I'm content. This is a life of contentment. Not a life of trying to satisfy myself. This life is a life of contentment. I'm content with what is. Therefore, I don't need to strive to earn more, to acquire more to build more, to grasp more. That is why I am free, folks. Do you understand me? Am I getting across to you here? This is a life of contentment. Contentment is bliss. This is a life of contentment. I am happy with whatever. I didn't used to be like this. If you spoke to me, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, I was a very different person. Those days, I used to have my way. And I used to spend people with time with people who used to convince me that you know a, there are other ways you could do it. They would always influence me. Every time you went out for a business meal or a, or a drink or a social gathering, right? People would always convince you there's another way you could do it. Here's another way, you know, there's there's another car that's come out, there's a new, another watch that's come out, right? There's another, there's another type of housing that has come out. You should try that. Hmm? Always feeding me with these configurations. So I kept on changing them, trying to be happy and whenever that changed, this had to change. So you see, it's a never-ending rat race. This changes, then you go and change that. Then again this changes, then again you go and change that. And then this changes, again you go and change that. Isn't that what happened since your childhood? Hmm? When you were in grade five, the, 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 the friends that you spent time with, they set this in some sort of configuration. Now you had to go and achieve that. To get it usually in childhood they say education is the best thing you need to get so from this was planted as as education now because here you had the configuration of education therefore you had to go out and get yourself an education then you got your education now after you got your education now you need higher education after that now you need a girlfriend right because someone came along and said you need to have a girlfriend in life otherwise you know life isn't fun or you have to get a boyfriend get a, get yourself a partner otherwise life isn't fun so now again they set this setting for you now you have to go and get that. Once you got that, now you have to get yourself a job. After you got yourself a job, now you've got to get yourself a car. After you got yourself a car, you've got to get yourself another car. Or you've got to get yourself a house. Then, did it stop there? No. Not a three-room house, a five-room house, a six-room house, a ten-room house. Three bedrooms, six bathrooms, and a terrace on top, with a swimming pool and a badminton court. And an underground car park. See how things just keep on evolving? You know, when they when they first had black black and white screen TVs, then someone came along and said, that's not the way to do it, you've got to have it color. So what did you do? What did we all do after that? We tried to find a way to get ourselves a color TV. And then color TV we got for ourselves. And that was what? 20 inches. Then someone came along and said, nah, how's that? The latest is 32. Now, what do we do? We went down and got ourselves a 32 inch. And then we got that and fit it at home. And then someone came along and said, 32? Now, that's old fashioned. It's now 60. Now, what do we do? Now we went down and got the 60. When does this end? Never ends. Why? Because we constantly allow people to keep changing these configurations within our mind. And that simply, simply puts us on this never ending race. It's exhausting. But people don't stop. People can't stop. They can't stop because someone's constantly feeding this this mind with rubbish. Unless this stops, this won't stop. It's like the carrot that is hung in front of the donkey. You can't stop. There's always the promise of satisfaction, of fulfillment, but it's never achieved. So you just keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, hoping one day you can achieve your satisfaction, but never to happen. That is why, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years on, you're still looking for happiness. You're still looking for it. That's why you're here. If you were happy, why did you come here? Hmm? If you were happy living the lifestyle that you were,? Right? as wealthy as you might have been, as educated as you might have been, right? Professionals, right? Respected individuals in society. Why are you here then? I didn't come to you, you came to me. And I have nothing that you have, except for my arms bowl and my three ropes. I have nothing to my name, but you have everything. And yet you come here asking me, we are still not happy, Swami Nasser. what do we do? I'm telling you, your approach, that lay attitude, is what's wrong. What needs to happen is not going after these things. What needs to happen is get rid of these things. Let Rupa be. Let Vedana be. Let Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana be. Let it be. Just let it be. (laughs) Let whatever be. That is the monastic attitude. It is because of that attitude I can consider myself to be a monk. It's not my robe that makes me a monk. This is just a piece of cloth. And a shaved head. There are plenty of people out there with shaved heads. Donning this on doesn't make me a monk. That's just convention. But I have an attitude that is different to the attitude I used to have. Today, if ever I'm upset or something annoys me, something bothers me, I never point the finger out. I know it's my own problem. I'm making it happen. That's what I want you to be. Because that is the right answer, folks. Do you not accept that? That is the right answer. So, no matter how difficult it is, isn't that what we should all be aiming for? Hmm? Isn't that what should we should all be striving for? If this is the last thing you should do, and the last thing you can do, shouldn't that be the last thing you should do? With your last breath, isn't that what you should be trying to do? Whereas changing this, it is so easy. Therefore, that's what we should do? No but because it's the wrong thing to do you'll never be happy that way that's why i mean you know we shouldn't insult our, our intelligence right we shouldn't insult our our humanity our human intelligence we insult ourselves if we choose the easy path when we know it's the wrong thing to do we are born humans with 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 a with a, with a brain and the ability to think and analyze and make informed decisions We should make use of that without insulting that. By making the right decision. No matter how tough it is, do the right thing. Always and only do the right thing. Because the right thing, no matter how tough it is, will yield you the right result. The wrong thing, no matter how easy it is, will never, will never yield you the right result. You will always go astray. Always go astray. So that's why I ask you, at least three occasions between now and next week spot yourself where you are trying to find happiness from the outside and then reconfigure yourself at that time recalibrate yourself at that moment and try and remember what Swami Nuhansi taught you today am I not setting my, my way here which is what is causing this problem if only I was able to let go of that, and let anything happen, then I will be fine. For that, contemplate on anicca. Because it's easier said than done, that I'll agree. I'll agree. But what is the done thing? What, you should, what, you should, what is it that you should do? It is your contemplation of anicca. Rupa is anicca. And if you don't accept that anicca nature, then what happens inside is dukkha. which is what's happening, so contemplate on that and bring it along with you when you come next week and our Swami Nases will be more than happy to help you and even this afternoon if you have examples that you would like to try out, how would I contemplate on this kind of situation, how would I contemplate on this, this particular kind of situation, ask them because that is your opportunity to practically figure, to, you know, to figure out how you practically apply the Dhamma. This may be a lot of theory here. But the practical application is what brings you results. Remember about the person who typesets all those books, How to Become a Millionaire. They've probably typeset a million books by now, but they're simply still earning their daily bread. Ever hopeful that one day I can become a millionaire. But they know all the content, they know the theory. What don't they do? Practice. It is practicing that will bring you results. All right, before I conclude, the discussion session today will be held in the, the new building, which is the Nevas Gaga, uh, not in this place, because, just for this week, because we have another program scheduled for uh, the library building. So after lunch, for the discussions with the Swami Nuhanses, they'll be going there so you can take yourself there after lunch. And that's where the program will be held today. Okay? Right. Let's take a moment to transfer the merits and conclude today's talk. <clears throat> okay. First, let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble triple gem enchanting chanting period, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. Let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand, and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have all acquired to our members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters, who have dedicated them their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. And let us transfer these maids to Guru Swami Mohanse as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery, as well as the Anagarikas and Anagarika the community attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, and be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them, and may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plain, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain, and may through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of nibbana. Sadhu, sad, sad. sad. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, and to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their wishes. And may, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss, of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer, merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers, employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds. Fulfill the meritorious deeds, Fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. So, so, so. Let us all take a moment to transfer merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the deva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the samudhisasana. Let us transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, to the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, Fulfill the meritorious deeds, for the Noble Eightfold Path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer this to our ancestors who have predeceased us, and to all those who have been friends and families and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in samsara, and to those who helped, supported, and assisted us along the way. Let us transfer this to the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations, and may all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to all those who lost their lives in national calamities, such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides, pandemics. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them. And may, to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Sadhu, 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 And let us all resolve that, may, to the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we will be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, by the power of all the maids we have all acquired today, you and I and everyone who's has helped make, make this program a success, become an Arahatan vahanse, an arahat in vahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Saradu, saradu, saradu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. <coughs> Members of the Mahasanga will transfer their blessings to you.
1: <coughs> Rāga ginnan midatm vā Vesha ginnan midatm vā Moha ginnan midatm vā Nibbāna parma Sukayen, Sukita Tare et ma Nipan parma, Sukayen, Sukita Tare et ma Mamma Nibbhāna pāraṁ sukhayen Sukita Tare vitmvā Nibbhāna pāraṁ sukhayen Sukita Tare vitmvā sukhayen Sukita Tara Ragginny, Neva, Deisha Guinea, Neva, Mohaginny, Neva, 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 Niwan Sapelebiwa Niwan Sap Lebuangi Suyananta Mahanguna Belin Siluloka Silo Satiyoman Nibbana Parma Su Ken Sukhi Paritva Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu.